listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. We Chose Play is a new series documenting my family's floor time journey. You can see the preview on YouTube, and you can register to watch the extended trailer for free at affectautism.com play, or just go to wechoseplay.com. With each episode, you'll glean insights, tips, and reflections, what I learned and what I know now that I would tell myself back then along the way. I hope it will support caregivers in their floor time experience. We chose play. We have joy every day. Welcome to the podcast. I am Daria Brown, and this week I have occupational therapist and DIR expert training leader with the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, Gretchen Kamke. She is also a floor time coach in the DIR Home Program. While recording a segment for Season 1, Episode 4 of my new floor time series, We Chose Play, we decided to make a podcast about how a floor time and sensory integration occupational therapist looks at a client in determining their sensory motor profile, which is a large part of the I, individual differences, in the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, or DIR floor time. Here's my conversation with Gretchen. When you meet a family, what is it that you're looking for? And, and just tell us your version as an occupational therapist of the I in DIR, the individual differences. So I see the I as, as information for us to think about what we need to tailor to support success. So the I... The eye can be so many different things, but as an OT, I'm most looking at that sensory and motor profile. How does someone take in the information from their environment and process it? How does someone respond to the information that they're receiving and use their body to interact with their environment? So I'm trying to get curious about what's happening as information comes in. And I'm trying to get curious about how what's going on with that information once it's in and letting them use their body to interact with the environment as they use that information for output. And so I first start off with um, everyone's quest for safety. They're those big things that, that really impact someone's safety. A lot of people with, with complex individual differences can feel very uncomfortable with certain kinds of sensation. So that is where I really start. And then I think about, well, how are they using their bodies? And do they look like they feel competent? And are they able to accomplish the tasks that they're looking to accomplish? Proprioception is, is our awareness of where, where our muscles are and what our muscles are doing and how our muscles are talking to each other. So it, it gives us the sense of where our hand is in relation to our our leg and how, how much force we're using as we use our bodies. Um, so our proprioceptive system really helps us understand where our body is in relation to itself and the environment. So we have all of these other senses, like your tactile system, your sense of touch, uh, your visual system, and how we use our eyes, our auditory system, and how we take in sounds, and our smell and our sense of movement and our relationship with gravity and, and our balance. And, and then we, we have a, a sense in a reception, which handles 
what's going on inside of our bodies and in related to our bladder control. So we have all of these senses that are coming into our body and then our brain has to figure out what to do with it. And no sense really comes in on its own. And so it's our brain's job to, to put it all together and to help us figure out how am I supposed to respond to the sensation? Is this a dangerous sense? And do I have to fight it or flee from it? Or is it sort of safe and I can explore it? Or it has to make sense of it. And, and it tells us what's important about this information and how can I then use that information and synthesize it for more coordinated movements and, and more precision. It says, hey, this is information that you need to use. And now I'm going to tell you about where you're being touched or how hard you're moving. So then you can use that information to have more purposeful and skillful movement. So it's about safety and regulation, but it's also about body control and what are we doing? So when I tried to figure out my son's profile as a toddler, he loved to squeeze into tight places. He'd stand between the dresser and the wall. Um, he'd like that feeling of being squished. I'd always squeeze his little chubby thighs when we would go to sleep, and he seemed to like that. Um, he also always wanted to stick his finger in every little hole that he saw. So I don't know if that's some kind of visual thing. You know, he would pick up sticks, throw them in the sewer. I still to this day see him finding something on the floor. If he finds a little piece of something or a fluffy or a leaf that came in from the front door, sticks it down the air vent. I'm like, no. Um, so he he's doing that. But then he also um, is constantly craving this movement. And so I see that as if, if I do the sensory profile, he's underwhelmed by a lot of his senses. So he likes different auditory stimuli. He's not overwhelmed if a fire truck drives by or if I start vacuuming. Sometimes when something's really loud, he goes like this. And he like looks at me with this look like, what's that? Like he's curious about it. And so he's craving lots of senses. But at the same time, he can sometimes be overwhelmed by tactile sense. Like if, if he doesn't like to be hugged, he turns around backwards. I talked about this in the podcast with Dr. Porges. I said, you know, whenever grandparents go to hug him, he turns around and they hug him from behind. And we always laugh about it because it's funny. And Dr. Poor just said, well, that's a pretty smart guy. It's sort of like a safer place. It's like his turtle shell. And so he's also, um, you know, he'll get really excited a lot. And then he's so upregulated. So he's up, up, upregulated seems to be his norm. And in that sense, when you think about um, matching our individual differences and in, in, in play, you want to match the sensory system. So if they're underwhelmed, you sort of want to bring them up. And if they're overwhelmed, you sort of want to bring it down. And, and those are layman's terms, not terms, not OT terms. But so I'll think about he's underwhelmed. So we want to be giving him more input, but then he's, he's totally upregulated. So we need to calm him down. So I guess the OT assessment is really about balancing out the, I think Virginia Spielman and I talked about, it's like the, the controls on an audio board. Right yeah, here. soundboard. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's all these different variables. And the tricky thing about, about sensory processing is it's dynamic. It's not the same all of the time because all of those different uh, controls on the soundboard affect that, that balance. Uh, sometimes we have to really get curious and think about, well, which ones do we have control over? Which ones do we not? And how do we support helping that individual find the right intensity, the right dose to, to be able to be in the right spot for the different activities that they're doing? Because regulation on a playground looks different than regulation in a classroom. And we need our nervous systems to be able to move with ease through those different states. So it's about thinking about regulation as a whole and what are those inputs that support regulation and knowing we're not always trying to bring kids up. We're not always trying to bring kids down. We're trying to figure out the balance and to be able to say, this is where we are right now. This is what we need. So some people talk about a sensory diet and we could, we could talk on and on about that, but it can't be a rigid thing. It has, we have to be, and it's, it goes back to attunement, right? It goes back to where are we right now and how can I use my relationship? How can I use the knowledge that I have of, of what different sensation does to support regulation in each moment, in each environment? That makes so much sense because, you know, we're also looking at where they are developmentally in each moment. Uh, a child who's dysregulated is at the lower end of those developmental capacities where we want to, you know, work on that regulation. That's what you're talking about before they can reach their, their higher capacities where they're socially problem solving and they're, you know, using abstract thought and things like that. Um, so we're always talking about where are they developmentally in the moment, but we're all, you're also saying like that part of that is this idea of their sensory systems. How is it affecting them in that moment? Because my son might react to sounds or whatever one way at home, but if it's out in public at a birthday party in a big indoor playground or in a, a gym setting or community center or outside at the park, like it's totally different in different environments. So always attuning in that moment. And I'll refer people back to some of the other podcasts I've done. I know Robbie Levy talked about that in the podcast we did um, about sensory responsivity, different ideas about around that and the podcast with Keith Lander about co-regulation being the driver for sensory integration, where, like you said, it, it's about regulation and the relationship. It's not just about providing the sensory diet. And the podcast with Virginia Spielman on sensory lifestyle, she said, it's not really a diet, it's a whole lifestyle. And the point is that we're trying to help our children support the regulation with sensory activities that might do that. But the idea is that we're hoping that they will then be able to self-regulate and know what they need going forward. I know I have a friend who brought her son to Dr. Greenspan years ago, um, who as a high school student was able to, and now is in university, was able to know when he needed to leave the room and take a break if things were overwhelming. And that's what we want our kids to do. Or know if they need to go spin around on their chair 
before they start doing their homework or something, or go jump on a swing for a while, or, or like our friend Jackie Bartell, who needs to go out for her run or walk or bike ride or whatever every morning when she gets up so that she's regulated for the day, or Maude LaRue, who says she needs her cup of coffee before she can start the day, all of these types of things. Yeah, we all, when, and when you think about our own lifestyles, we all hopefully have strategies that support us feeling regulated. And so it's about finding the right dose and, and the right timing and the right intensity um, to support success for everyone. And, and when it becomes a conversation for everyone and we're, we're looking at ourselves through that lens, one, it gives, it empowers us to be able to support our own regulation. If I'm walking into something that I know is really stressful and I can feel that anxiety in my stomach, I can say, whew, I know that feeling and I know what to do with it. So my arousal might be increasing because I'm anxious, but I also know I could take some deep breaths to help calm myself down. I, I'm a big one who, who will push down on my thighs and get some deep pressure. Or when I worked at the preschool before I went into a session that I, or after I had a really tricky session, I do some wall push-ups because I one wanted to model to the kids. This is life. You know, we, we all can do things to support our own success. So it's just about getting curious enough and to, to be able to be intentional to be successful. So although my son uh, liked getting that input to his body, if he squished into small places and um, at nighttime, he can't stand blankets on him. He's constantly kicking everything off of him. So what I used to think of as that being more proprioceptive, I now understand from seeing your presentation that that's a tactile thing, probably, I'm guessing. <laughs> Yeah, so so I'm wondering about the texture and the weight of the blanket. And if every time he moved, he got a certain type of sensation, did he know, oh, when I move that way, it wakes me up and that gets in the way of my sleep? Or is it, oh, I, I don't really like that, so I need to get rid of it. Uh, it doesn't need to be heavier for it to be relaxing. So there are, there are a couple things that that makes me think about, but it does make me think tactile. Um, and how, how is that tactile input from the blanket not supporting what he should be doing or what he wants to be doing, which is relaxing and, and sleeping? Very interesting. I know that my son needs to move a lot and he run around a lot. And I hear lots of parents in ICDL's parent support group say the same thing. My child needs to move. They need to run. But I also know that it makes him very dysregulated, very upregulated. And other parents will say that their kids are dysregulated. And so what, what does an OT do with that? Yeah. And so movement is so important because it in, it really does help us grow and mature our sensory and motor systems. But this is exactly what I hear happen for, from a lot of parents is, yeah, they love to crash and we're having such a great time, but then it gets, it always ends in a disaster or it gets out of hand. And so when we think about that soundboard and that arousal and, and matching the demands to the activity, I think about how do we bring in more regulating activities to that play? 
because as, as a kid is running and running and running and crashing and getting more excited, excitement can be dysregulating in itself. So then we want to think about, all right, how do I slow it down? How do I bring in a little bit more, uh, more calming input? So moving slower, bringing more deep touch pressure in because that is calming. So maybe they're crashing and then we're making a slow motion sandwich between pillows. Or maybe we're running and we're crashing and then we're you playing a game where we're statues. So it's play, it's, it's taking their nervous system for a little bit of a ride and pushing the boundary of that excitement and bringing it down and pushing the boundary and bringing it down. And really what we're helping the brain and nervous system do is, is practice regulation, but because we're there and we're being more intentional with movement, or maybe we're using attunement. Ooh, you are so excited. So maybe we're, we're, we're trying to co-regulate and, and support them getting really excited and being there with them and bringing it down. And so we are, we're helping them build more self-regulation skills through co-regulation, but not because they're totally upset because they're so excited and so having such a, a fun time that, that that's pushing the dysregulation. I have an example that I'll ask you about. We had a birthday party and there was a girl there who is a sensory seeker, like my son. And it was in an indoor playground where you put the balls into this and it goes and spits them out when you press the buttons. So all the balls, you gather all the balls, you put them in the machine, press the button. And so it's this cause and effect game that kids love watching over and over. Well, this girl had sort of like a blanky dolly and it, it was like just a little tiny blanket thing, like sort of a, a stuffed head with like a blanket dress type thing. Okay. And she was sticking it in there and watching it fly. And every time it flew up, she went, ah, and then watched it. And then again and again, and very compulsively, because when someone tried to sort of calm it and stop it, very aggressively, she took it back. She wanted to just keep doing this over and over and over again. So some people or parents, I don't know, might say, well, she needs to do that. She needs to do that and get that out of her system or that's what her body's craving. Whereas with floor time, we're, we're thinking about how we can, like you said, adjust all those um, inputs and in that and using co-regulation. So if, if Gretchen, the occupational therapist, were at this birthday party, what would you have done um, when you saw this going on? Well, first I would get really curious about, is, is she truly dysregulated or is this just how she is expressing joy? Um, and so if, if, if it's not true dysregulation, sometimes it's tricky when, when there's more people and when someone's joyful expression might affect someone else. And, and that can be a, a conversation to think about how can we all be in this together? Um, but I, I, 
in that story, I think about the power of the social engagement system and the knowledge that Dr. Porges has give a, given us and how we can use social engagement to connect and regulate. So I would love to be a part of that activity with her. And, and I'm curious if, if she can do that in connection with someone else if it would, if she still would have such an intense response, but I'm just the description. I'm not sure if it's dysregulation or joy. And, but if she was so stuck that no one else could be near her or around her, I would really get curious about her sense of safety and her perception of safety. And it makes me think about, um, and this could be a podcast for another day, but being a, 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 a playful interactor versus a, or a play partner versus a play interrupter. Um, because she might view that person, that stimulus, that approaching person as a threat to her beautiful, wonderful game that she's created with her little dolly and this very cool thing that I put in this tube and it goes up and it's really exciting. So if this person is going to ruin that for me, I'm not going to let them in. But if I know that they might play with me and make it even more fun, then maybe one, I'm going to let them in. And two, then I'm going to connect and engage with them. And maybe that connection and engagement is something that will, will help her regulate. Yeah. I like that because, um, it was so loud and chaotic. It might've been hard to do that, but it did seem like if anyone tried to step in, she she did seem to feel threatened like don't interrupt my little game that i'm playing here but if it started out where oh maybe i have a dolly too and then i i look and then i'm like oh, and then i stick mine in and I'm like you know and and do that back and forth joy okay now you know it's your turn it's my turn without saying now it's your turn now it's my turn just sort of Perfect. naturally putting it in and watching and then seeing if she's engaging with with and and having a connection um playing together mm -hmm. yep and and another thing you said reminds me of when greenspan talked about sensory modulation games i think that's pretty much what you described like he's he would say kicking a soccer ball or things like that where or you know red light green light go like okay run oh yellow light slow down oh red stop and can kids do that and i know that was really hard for my son to do but when they made it a game at school he started to enjoy enjoy it and have fun and oh who didn't stop on time and giggles and you know it was a fun game everything is easier to learn when it's fun and so if our and it's hard to make inhibition or the, the, the skill of stopping and have a ton of self-control, it, it's hard to make that fun. Um, but what you just described are some really great examples of, of helping us gain some of that self-control. Today, I was talking to a parent about modulation games and, and how it's so tricky for, for the for their child to stop what they're doing when they're doing something. So they're running, 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 and, 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 they, they don't respond to stop. Uh, and so we started, we were exploring things that were motivating for this kid and, and dancing. And so we were, we, we talked about playing a freeze game of, of 
playing uh, during music. So the music is on and then the music stops and now we have to freeze. It's a playful way to practice a hard skill. And the skill is I'm, my body's going, going, going. And now I got to hit the brakes and I got to slow down and I got to pause and I got to wait. I have to wait for that right moment that somebody says go or the music turns on. And now I'm going, the going, going. And now I need to wait for that next moment. Whoop, brain, slow down. And it's hard. But when it's playful and joyful and in relationship, it's way easier to practice. So I'm thinking about, we have this information about our children's systems. And it's one thing to understand how it all affects them. But you're talking about bringing it into a playful realm. In terms of play, it helps us just think about what might he like or what might he not like. So knowing he loves to watch things move helps us know, oh, let's find activities that have moving parts and let's become a part of it. What would you say um, when parents are wondering, okay, so he has these senses that aren't integrated or whatever the wording is, how does an OT work on that? So if his sense is a little off, it's hard for him to catch things, that's motor planning, part of the motor side versus the sensory side that you said. What kinds of intervention does an occupational therapist do to work on that? So there are some occupational therapists that have more advanced training in sensory integration. And, and so an OT that's trained in SI, often they have environments that have the opportunities to engage with many different activities that provide some very intense sensation. And so the OT is all about, they're, they're thinking about what might be the just right challenge to, tr to create in an environment where the child then has to, has to respond to it in, in new and novel ways. So it's, it's creating environments that have lots of different types of sensory input and making the activity motivating enough where the, the child or client wants to interact with that activity and find these small, tiny little challenges. So it's, it's about getting all of the senses to communicate with each other as best they can. Sometimes kids that look like they're underwhelmed might just not be processing it well. So it's, it's really getting curious about, well, do they need more input or do they need a certain type of intensity to help make sense of the input? And that's where a really thorough OT evaluation comes in because it's a lot of analytics to, to say, all right, this is, this is our hypothesis. And, and then this is what we're thinking about, but it all has to be meaningful to the child. It all has to be meaningful to, to the client. So, and it's not just, oh, I'm going to get them better at this because they need it. It's about, is, is this getting in the way of, of a client feeling good about themselves and might help them feel more confident and feel more comfortable and feel more competent in their own, in their own bodies? So along those lines, a child who's overwhelmed by sensations. So I'm thinking of a child who's overwhelmed by sounds and wears headphones, the vacuum sets them off or any sudden noises. 
I've I've heard horror stories from people where the therapist was forcing them to listen to things that were har- that were literally harmful to them just to get them used to it. That's not sensory integration. Sensory integration is not desensitization. Okay. Sensory integration is is and the goal with sensory integration is never to tolerate sensation. It's to make sense of sensation. Okay. Um, the the client should never feel uncomfortable. Um, now there might be moments that might feel challenging, but discomfort, there's really no room for discomfort in a sensory integration session. Um, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard as an OT to hear, to hear that kids are being forced to participate in, in activities for the sake of growth, um, in terms of sound, you know, you hear horror stories about, about kids having their hands held in different textures. There are many kids where that sensation is incredibly overwhelming and they don't want to get dirty and they don't feel safe to get dirty. And then here's a, here's a well-intentioned person, you know, forcing, forcing a sensation. But what is happening is we're just increasing stress in the nervous system. And if you have an overwhelmed nervous system who's struggling to to take in certain sensations and we just give you more of that sensation and say, well, you got to you got to get used to it. That's just not helpful. And and not only is it not helpful, it it makes it harder to to come and relax that nervous system to be in a in a point where they can explore with things that might be a little bit outside of their comfort zone. We need safety first, safety before exploration. And I also hear a theme of development there where the more my son kicks the sand, the more he splashes in the water, the more he throws all different size balls in different distances against different surfaces. He's learning a lot about his environment and how to interact with it. And that is sort of helping integrate his senses as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So that's what being a kid is, regardless of any diagnosis or any neurotype, being a kid is figuring out what's going on inside your body. What's going on in the environment around me? How do, how do I use my body to interact with it? How big are things? How smaller things? What do things sound like? How do, how does something fit into, into something else? So you mentioned your son likes to find those womb spaces. I think about that all of the time and often womb spaces are very, very regulating and they help you realize how big your body is. So I'll see all the time kids climbing into toy boxes, climbing in into small, tight spaces. Well, one, they feel really good Two, they're safe and three, they there. There's a learning experience there about how big am I in relation to this space? So that's the beauty of play. And that's why play and supporting playful interactions and playful opportunities really supports the developmental process because you, you can't, you can't fake it. It's just our whole childhood is, is helping give us more opportunities to, to build our, our sensory systems, our motor systems, our cognitive systems, our relational systems. So play is, play is it. It was fun to apply our knowledge of the eye, the individual differences and the sensory processing profile, 
but the way it's implemented can vary so much depending on who the parents are, depending on you know what activities you do, depending on what therapists you're working with and what they suggest. So just another, another point about why we need individualized assessments for our children. Every child is so different, but hopefully this gave you a little bit of an idea from all of the different aspects of my son's profile that will make you think about your child's profile and uh, getting finding a good floor time, sensory integration, occupational therapist to look at your own child. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Thanks for having me. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please see the parents menu at icdl.com, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for the virtual floor time consultations for parents. There you can schedule an appointment, look at the virtual DIR home program services, and see the weekly parent support meetings registration. We aim to help you implement the developmental individual differences relationship-based model at home, taking into account where your child is developmentally and their individual sensory processing differences within your safe and nurturing relationship to promote and support their developmental potential. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day.